This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are three members of the cast of Little Night Music playing at Writer's Theater. I'm joined by Shannon Cochran, who plays Desiree Armfeld, Deanna Dunnigan, who plays Madame Armfeld, and Tiffany Scott, who plays Charlotte. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to bring these particular members of the cast. It's a, it's a wonderful ensemble and any combination of the cast would have been fun to talk to about the show. But to me, the show is very much about stages of life and throughout you have a young girl, you have a, um, young wife, you have a more experienced wife. Uh, that's how I would characterize Tiffany's role as Charlotte. Then you have someone kind of in the very middle life, and then we have the grandmother played by Deanna. So there's this whole range of women at different stages of their life. And I thought it would be interesting to talk um, from that about the stages of life of an actor's uh, career. And maybe, Deanna, since you've seen the most of that cycle, um, you would start? You know, it's possible that I'm not the one to start because I didn't start until very late. Really? I Yes. Uh, in an actor's life, I would have been a has-been in Hollywood by the time I got started. Uh-huh. When I did start, my first role was as an 18-year-old, but I was already 34. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, because I always looked younger. And uh, How did you get, just because that's too juicy to leave lying <laughs> there, how did you get into the theater at that age? Uh, I had been a music teacher in the public schools, and my parents offered to help me to go back to grad school. And I said, well, not in music. Uh, I actually have a music degree, and I'm probably the worst singer in the cast. <laughs> uh, I, was a, I was a good music teacher, though. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> and um, so I have a music degree, and I taught music. And I, I said I wanted to go back and get a graduate degree in theater. And, and they, that maybe wasn't what they had in mind. No. <laughs> but actually, I always assumed that I would just be teaching drama instead uh-huh. of music. Uh-huh. That's, uh, it just didn't work out that way, thank God. Uh-huh. Because I, from the time I was two, I was performing and getting kids together and putting on plays. But as far as actually starting at a young age in the theater right after college, Shannon did. I don't know about Tiffany. Yeah, she's nodding. <laughs> yes. So you, you should talk to them probably about uh-huh. how it is. When I did get in, then I was an, able to play on stage younger parts mm-hmm. for a long time. Which is great because that kind of extends your right. time in that part of the Right, literature. but the fact was that I was too old for mm-hmm. those parts, and mm-hmm. so there was never a, a, an idea that I would ever go on any other media Mm-hmm. Uh, film right. or television mm-hmm. as the ages I was playing on the stage. Right. So I played She Stoops to Conquer, in which the heroine is supposed to be 18. I played her first when I was 32 uh-huh. in grad school, and then I played her again when I was 40. Wow. <laughs> well, before, again, you keep giving me these fascinating little threads I can't help but want to pull on. Um when you play an age younger than yourself, I imagine there's some kind of challenge in withhold. I, I don't know if I can quite express this, but that it's not just the physicality or the spirit, but you know more than your character in some way. You've been there and gone beyond it. Well, actually, the first time I played, for example, uh, she, she Stoops to Conquer, 
and I was 33 or mm. 32 or whatever I was, it, I had no problem mm-hmm. because I've just always been, you know, my best friends like Shannon are 20 years younger than I am. Uh-huh. So You're the young spirit. I, well, I, I oh, you're I'm immature. I am very, I'm immature. You like that characterization yes, better? I do. I think I'm immature, yes. Uh-huh. So I didn't, but the second time I was embarrassed and, and mm. it, it wasn't, it was, I was too old. Uh-huh. And you felt you were miscast. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I, I've never had to try to play younger. Mm-hmm. I, and at the same time I was playing that part in the same season. I played Cousin Hebe in the HMS Pinafore, who is an old lady with a gray wig. So uh-huh. that's been one the wonderful, wonderful things about my career is I've been able to play a multitude of types and ages in all my ages right. of my life, right. which is which yeah. is what theater has enabled me to do, and Shannon too. Right. And I, and I don't know Tiffany's well because this is our first show to work together. You don't have that yeah. history. Uh-huh. Well, um, let me pitch the same question uh, to Shannon and Tiffany, and then um, lots of other things we can talk about. But Shannon, just just for you, over time, seeing how um, uh, you fit into the theatrical literature and how it feels to be in the theater, how does that how has that changed over the you know the time you've been doing it? Well, uh, and how long has that been? Um, I I. Started acting at about age 17, really. Uh-huh. Um, got my first professional job when I was 18. Uh-huh. And um, I began my life in the musical theater. I got a degree in musical theater from the Cincinnati Conservatory of oh, Music. Yeah. So That's a great program. It's fantastic, yeah. and it's gotten more and more impressive over the years. Mm-hmm. I don't believe I would get in now if I had the same skill set as uh-huh. I brought to bear then. But... Uh-huh. Uh, Nonetheless, it was it was good, intense training for me, and the rest of the training was kind of on the job. Um, I moved all around the country like Deanna did, and um, finally uh, got my equity card um, at the Beef and Boards Dinner Theater in Indianapolis, uh-huh. uh, doing a couple of musicals. And then some kids came up to Chicago when the rights to a chorus line were released, and I came with them, and uh, I didn't think of myself as a singer or a dancer, really, even though I'd had this degree. It, it felt like I had crammed all this training into a very relatively short period of time. Uh-huh. But uh, I always say that I arrived in Chicago when no one else in my age range just had quite the same skill set that I did. Mm-hmm. And so I had some lovely success here. And then Miracle of Miracles was able to cross over and begin to do straight theater. And so I always think of that phase of my life as being the musical phase because most it was dominated by my work in musicals in mm-hmm. Chicago. And, and when, what, what decade are we in? Uh, I came to Chicago in 85, mm-hmm. uh, just after Deanna. And we met not long after that, as a matter of fact, and have been friends ever since. So that's one of the great stories of A Little Night Music is that Deanna and I have... You know, worked together on several occasions, but not, uh, not acted together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to be in a play at Steppenwolf in 87 or something like that. That's, that's uh, a production of Stepping Out, which and is a play we, about tap We dancing. acted together in that play. We did. And then I've directed Deanna, uh, a 
couple of times. And um, but Shannon we, is a brilliant director, woman of many parts. <laughs> Thank you. And we so we've been looking for something to do together, you know. And we always had our minds on this as well as some other things too. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the things I was going to say to get back to your question is. Um, I've been extremely blessed, as has Deanna. Uh, we've actually done many of the same parts, which is funny <laughs> because we're such different types, but mm. I've been extremely blessed to do some of the parts that I always dreamed about doing. But nonetheless, some slip you by, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you missed that you one. You just say, right. I never got to do that head of gabbler, right. you know. Right. And one day you realize it's not going to go that way for right. you. Right. Um, I was never an ingenue, so my Juliet, you know, can lie undone, and that'll be okay. You were never an ingenue because you were doing musical theater well, at that age, or you um, just weren't built that Type-wise, not mm-hmm. that way. You know, mm-hmm. for, if you're 5'10", you're very rarely going to be seen as the right. ingenue. And if right. I always had a deep voice. I always played older than I was. Right. Um, so uh, I just wasn't suited to most of the ingenue type roles. Right. So I would get the second banana and usually the more fun roles. Right. You know. Yeah. Like Anita in West Side Story. <laughs> right. Much more fun than Maria. Much more. Totally. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Right. I can see that. So. Well, one of the um, kind of stereotypes that people talk about is that particularly for women, there are uh, holes in the literature. You know, there you get to a certain age and there just isn't a lot that's really great. Has that been your experience, or have you pretty much been able to? Stitch Not in theater. Mm-hmm. I would. Say, that's what the glorious thing about it is, that you can play younger than yourself. You can play older than yourself. Mm-hmm. The right makeup, the right lighting, the right costume and mm-hmm. wig, the illusion on that can be created on stage allows you so much latitude. Mm-hmm. Unlike in, that, in front of the camera. Unlike the camera, as Deanna was. That's saying, where yeah. the holes exist. Right. You know, there are whole periods of my time on camera where I've been seemingly uncastable. Mm-hmm. And then a two or three years will pass, and then suddenly it's happening again. Yeah. I back into a niche. Mm-hmm. The television and film medium is such that you have to be kind of readily identifiable as, yeah. a, as the thing, mm-hmm. a type, uh, an age. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't always line up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you look younger than other 40-year-olds your age. Mm-hmm. And it, you're just not going to have the same success. It doesn't matter how good of an actress you are. Yeah, yeah. You're just not going to get that those parts. But your experience is that that's not an issue so much in the theater. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so so Tiffany, you're the um, the youngest person <laughs> <Yes>. here. <laughs> um, and so I don't really know what your career has been. So I know you've done a lot of theater work in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. But how long have you been here? I've been in Chicago for 16 years, actually. I came here to study at Northwestern uh-huh. and then stuck around. And I've been fortunate enough to um, travel a little bit with work the past five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been here for 16, which is kind of crazy. And I would say, to answer your question, I've had a similar experience uh, as Deanna has had in that I've always looked younger than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. So um, until very recently, uh, I've been playing ingenues. I've worked at a theater in Wisconsin uh, called American Players Theater. Oh, it's yeah. a 1,200-seat outdoor theater. It's right. a great place. And in a 1,200-seat outdoor theater, I can play an 18-year-old. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe can't get away with it here. But. One of the things that we, we both have small faces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We both yes. have that We're small features. and mm-hmm. small faces, and I think that reads young. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
But I would say, interestingly enough, in the past two years, um, things have sort of changed for casting mm -hmm. with me. Um, and I'm starting to do more, I would uh, maybe leading lady kind of roles. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting transition to go through. Yeah. You know, I'm not really getting called in for the, for the younger roles anymore. So, but they're, these roles seem to be far more interesting and challenging. Yeah. In my opinion. You so, bet. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly, um, your role in, in this show, um, I thought it, it really was a standout performance. It's oh, thank uh, you. really funny and really heartbreaking mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. at the same time. And, um, so, and it, and it is not at all an ingenue role. I mean, it's no. a very cynical kind of a woman mm -hmm. who's gone past innocence and she's experienced some things. Yes. <laughs> right. And that seems like a very, that's really her role in the ecology of the piece. Mm. Kind of, um, so what have you learned from watching these two on stage? Oh my gosh. I'm sort of in awe of both of them sitting here, <laughs> but <laughs> just the, um, throughout the process, just, just the way that they've sort of crafted these really wonderful, beautiful, heartbreaking, touching roles. Um, it's been, it's been a quite a treat, actually. I, I remember during the first read through, I was weeping. <laughs> I mean, and throughout the rehearsal process, just uh -huh. weeping. And it's just some really great, uh, crafting of, of character. It's, I don't know if that's a good answer, but, <laughs> well, it, but it, it, it might be, um, if, if you could come up with any specifics, like you hmm. went home and say, Ooh, I'm going to remember that. Ooh, I'm going to try that sometime. I mean, is there anything like that? I don't know how actors look at each other's work, and it's probably different from actor to actor, but I would think that as you're watching someone who's more experienced, I mean, you're a very experienced actor, but still, they're, they're ahead of you on the, <laughs> um, on the life cycle, so to speak, is, you know, can you remember anything that you just were struck by, either in their process or technique? I would say, and this may be kind of general, but it's, also filtered through some of the things that I want to be working on in my craft. Mm -hmm. um, I think in both Shannon and Deanna's work, mm -hmm. I've noticed um, just a lovely vulnerability, mm. which um, really fits really well in this space. Yes. The space is so intimate, right. and it affords us the opportunity to be real and vulnerable. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the, one of the special things about the performances and about this particular production in, the, in that there is so much heart and vulnerability uh -huh. in, in, the, in, the, um, in the production. Is it to do with how you react to the other actors? Is that where you see vulnerability? Well, you know, one thing that it makes me think of is, and I believe you possess this too, the, the actors I always admire have these active inner lives mm. so that at any moment that you catch them, whether they're in focus yeah. or not, they're in process. Yeah. They're thinking, they're, they're going through something and the vulnerability comes through that way. Mm -hmm. They don't just show up for their big moment right. or their big, you know, zinger at the end of a scene they're always kind of, you know, living an inner yeah. life that the audience may or may not pick up on, but mm -hmm. what they do pick up on is a quality. Yeah. 
Well, you have obviously the advantage in this space that you don't have to project so far. It's not amplified, or at least if it was, it was so It's completely acoustic, yeah, yeah. Which is something I love. I mean, in fact, honestly, for me, that's a huge barrier to enjoying musical theater because the, um, the miking just gets in the way for me of reacting. But anyway, so it's one of the pleasures of this uh, production that you're in a tiny little space. And I would imagine that at least was somewhat comforting. But that it did also create what I have to imagine was challenges. Um, the band is uh, essentially backstage, stage right, and you all are playing. It's not in the round, but it's quite an open focus. And I wonder how, on the in the in particularly in the more complicated, Sondheim's music is very complex in places, um, you know, what was the process by which you worked on staying together, just simple, you know, technical challenge like that? Well, the orchestra comes in um, during our tech process. Mm. They came in, um, and we had one full evening with them to sort of work on things, and then throughout the tech process we worked, and we tweaked. Um, Malcolm Rule uh, did the orchestrations, uh, for how this big particular, is the, is the ensemble? Do you know how many? It's five, uh, five players. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many instruments there are. Mm-hmm. More, because a woodwind player plays six, I think. Wow, well, yeah. <laughs> jumping around. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's quite beautiful, and um, they're quite wonderful at listening <laughs> to us and and um, going where we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if there are six of you going different ways <laughs> they have to choose i mean i'm just i'm just i'm a singer myself but i've always you know sung for a conductor who's standing right in front of me mm-hmm. you know okay. this is a very different kind of, of challenge technically well we rehearsed a long time mm-hmm. with the music director conductor every day yeah so she got to know our your performance styles voice. i mean what we wanted to do with a song she right. worked with us right she she's wonderful. She she encouraged us in our in individual interpretations, and um, so it wasn't. I mean, there are some very difficult moments. Perpetual anticipation that three of the ladies sing mm. is an extremely difficult one, and you must be on it at all times. Yeah. That and a couple of other numbers, we have picked up a a brief rehearsal here and there to be sure that's going, everybody's coming in in the right place. And mm-hmm. You mean since uh, you've opened? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You have to do that occasionally, or you'll start um, you'll start making the, uh, repeating a mistake, and yeah. Val will come to you and say, yeah. you know, you're not dotting that quarter note right. anymore, so no, it's no longer a bolero. About right. <laughs> or something like that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so you get brushed up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she listens, and she's there, and I... That we we know it so well now uh-huh. that there's not that much. It's kind of a group think. You don't. Yeah, it, it sort of mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of becomes. It's like a choir that's sung together for a long time. You you just you know you're feeling yeah. together. Yeah. What is the etiquette in musical? I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, what is the understanding in musical theater about um, the musical interpretation? How much is it up to the music director to say this will be the tempo, this will be where we take time, and how much of it is completely left to the singer actor or director? Or director. <laughs> yeah, in the best scenarios, it's it's a three way conversation, mm-hmm. which Bill is a master at. Is he a musician, by the way? Um, 
No, not per se. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say so. I mean, he he's a lover of music, mm-hmm. and um, he's a, a fan of classical music and actually many types of uh, styles Eclectic, of music. Uh-huh. So that's helpful. Uh-huh. Um, so that the three of you, the music director and the director and the actor, began this conversation about tempo and feel and where it is the state of mind of the character at the time that, you know, the best songs in musicals are when words no longer are enough Mm -hmm. and you naturally elevate to song because that's what's called for emotionally. Mm -hmm. So you start there and, and, uh, you settle on something without anyone dictating it. Now, I'm sure there are scenarios where somebody comes in and says, it's going to be like this, and we're going to go with this tempo, and right. I like it like that, so let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps but, Catherine Zeta-Jones, for instance. Yeah, be. <laughs> but, well, or Mr. Sondheim. Uh-huh. When I worked in balance with Mr. Sondheim, it was right. Mr. Sondheim's whatever he wanted. I would guess so. I, I, Although I'm sure he and Hal Prince had many a tussle behind the stage that we didn't know about. But right, still. right. But he for, he got the final call sure. on music, uh, I can for, imagine. Yeah. Well, it, um, Shannon, it, I think it's kind of impossible not to think about, uh, send in the clowns when you think about this show. And I'm, I am, I suspect it's a little bit like when you start one of the big Shakespeare soliloquies, you know, the fruit you say to be or not to be, and everybody says, okay, here we go, you know. <laughs> so I wonder, how do you, um, counteract the weight that that puts on just what's essentially just one number in a whole show that has a dramatic purpose, not a big, okay, we're going to bring down the house. You know, what do you do as an actor to keep it part of the show? Well, it's interesting because when you do some reading about the history of the show and the number, first of all, it was not originally intended for Desiree. Oh, really? Um, It was uncertain as to who would sing it, and there were borrowed ideas from other shows that he had done, mm-hmm. phrases, musical ideas, as well as lyrics that were pulled in from other ideas, uh, other shows. And um, so you realize that the number is, and it, and I don't think it was intended by Mr. Sondheim to be the showstopper. Right. No, he okay. never had any idea. That he it was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he thought the Miller's son, uh, sung by Petra, would be the showstopper, and that's why he stuck it in the place he did. Interesting. Um, and so the fact that sending the clowns caught on is is mysterious for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, out of context, most people have no idea what, what the lyrics means. mean. Right, right. But like the best of many things, when you hear it, out of context, you make up a story to go right, with it. Right. You make up your own personal story. Right. And that's, I believe, the success of the song. Well, it's also just so beautiful. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> it really is one of those. It is. And you find out some really interesting things musically about what makes it resonate. Mm-hmm. It's got a pendulum-like structure to mm. it so that it has moments where it just suspends at the top of the arc yes mm-hmm. in midair if you will yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and then swings forward again and that 
as it turns out, psychologically, is something that people gravitate towards uh-huh. uh, when they hear ballads. And uh, so I just was mostly mindful of some of the musical ideas that I thought Sondheim himself was trying to communicate, uh-huh. not so much how I was going to act it, because I just assumed that whatever had happened up to that point would carry me into the song. Uh-huh. And that as I ran it, it would flesh out on its own. Uh-huh. Does, it, does it happen the same way every night? And if not, does the music become a stricture? Like if you have some new idea about what it's about, then but you still have to sing it, does that get in the way? No, it's it's remarkably fluid. Um, whereas I think there are some numbers in the in the play which are quite. Um, you know, definitely are dictated by a certain kind of rhythm, mm-hmm. and you must adhere to that rhythm. Mm-hmm. Sending the Clowns is so wonderful, and Valerie, our Valerie Mays, our musical director, uh, has said to me on numerous occasions, we're so breathing with you mm-hmm. that we can feel and see when you're going to change or move or take something faster one evening or yeah. hold something back or... And it's true, you know. So you can do whatever you comes really to can. You. Yeah. And some yeah. days it's, I think it's a little more, um, um, it's filled with a little more regret, a little mm-hmm. more ruefulness, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Other days it's filled with a little more anger, mm-hmm. perhaps, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I, these are small degrees by which it changes, but I would say now that I'm more comfortable with singing in general, mm-hmm. um, you get that freedom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. It's been lovely. So one more thing I wanted to return to, Deanna. You said, um, again, before we started, that Bill came in, I think, or you didn't quite say this, but that there was something about the way you play Madame Armfeld, something different about the concept than how she's usually played. Can you explain yes, that? Yes, yes. Well, um, in the same literature that was given to us, uh, she was. Ref- they talked about Lady Bracknell. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I'm sure all of your listeners know who Lady Bragnall is. Just in case. Uh, and um, she's a martinet, and she is uh, quite... Uh, this is Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, the importance of being earnest. Yeah. It's, uh, she's very brusque and uncompromising in every way. Uh-huh. And uh, beloved because of the unyielding nature, I think, of her her character. But we decided, and Bill had the idea first, but but I jumped on board and loved the idea that mm-hmm. that this was not going to be the same kind of Madame Armfeld because, first of all, why would all these kings and dukes mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, her barons lovers, or whoever yeah. have been wanted to keep company with this angry, mean woman. Yeah. So we wanted to her to have more charm and the the part I I I softened it quite a bit. Uh-huh. Especially toward Desiree. Yeah. Because um and that happened partly in part because we don't have the leader singers so that the principals are able to to be in those choral numbers and we have more of an opportunity to interact. Uh-huh. 
So you're saying that she wouldn't have been on stage she if wouldn't it weren't have been on for stage. that. That you just have a smaller cast and she's doing it, extra exactly. Duty so yeah. I I get to sing more, which I love. Yeah, and I get to be with Shannon a, a few more times. We don't get to speak to each other, but we get to yeah. communicate with yeah. our eyes yeah. and our bodies. And uh, so I've created. We have created more of a relationship, a tenderer mother daughter uh, yes, relationship. Mo- yeah. We fight. Yeah. Because I don't believe she's doing the best thing for her daughter to mm-hmm. drag her around on tour. Mm-hmm. But, uh, once she creates a, a family home situation that I think is going to be appropriate for mm-hmm. the daughter, then she goes with my blessing, you know. I right. mean, and this would not happen. I don't think it's ever, so that we know of, it's not been played that done, way. Played that she's way. much more of a cold, Disapproving. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. And, and I think all the way through, I've tried to find places where she's much softer and, uh, mm-hmm. she has her moments. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for instance, I said, I think at the beginning that one of the strongest flavors in the show for me is yearning. And, uh, the song Liaison is a yearning for a more beautiful time, a yearning backwards. Mm-hmm. Other characters are yearning forward. Tiffany's character is yearning for her husband who's um, who's unfaithful to her. And to me, it fit really well to have that be not just about how stupid the world is and how, you know, everything's gone to the dogs, your liaison mm-hmm. song, but, but rather it's this nostalgia. It's this, you can feel her yearning for her youth. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that certainly came through came through to oh, me, that good, different, you. you know, tone to it. Um, I think that one of the great strengths of the show is that we're in a small enough space that the acting can be paramount. You don't have to have these huge voices, this huge orchestra, everything isn't. I think Bill said in an interview, he didn't have to sell the show, and that certainly that certainly mm-hmm. comes through. Um, and the work that you three do is just so delightful to observe up close. And um, thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. Thank Thanks you. for having thank us. You.